Hello and welcome to another episode of Adventures in .NET. I'm Sean Clever, your host, and with me today are your two co-hosts, Caleb Wells. Hello, hello. How are y'all? Hello, hello, hello. Hey. It's not hey, y'all. You know, no? I got to branch out a little bit. <laughs> Must be the new job. You got to change and do something different. Oh, yeah. Well, you know me. <laughs> Is that your greeting when you talk to your colleagues? Oh, uh, just your no. family? No. <laughs> No. Yeah. Just, right. that, that must be the other co-host. Why Lou? Hey, why? Sean, Caleb, hey Don. Hey, hey good. How, how's the how's the mask wearing going? Uh, we have actually stopped having to wear masks nice. for us, but I think the, um, the situation in Australia is starting to get a little out of control. But not not in my city, but um, <laughs> near in Sydney they are. So that's getting a bit scarier. So. Out of control. For those of you uh, don't relative. know, <laughs> right? Australia had an outbreak what two weeks ago now, and yeah, we've got the I think it's Delta variant in Sydney. Yep. So yeah, it's kind of annoying. The, uh, um, yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 a PETA. We actually have the Delta Plus variant here oh. in New Orleans. And there's a lambda one coming on. Yeah, lambda's coming. And the um and the Gamma. infection rates have like skyrocketed. Mm. Not anybody who's been vaccinated, as far as I know, but there's plenty of people down here who have Yeah, I think I think that's the problem. Uh, a lot of people hasn't actually been vaccinated in Australia because we've been just cruising along thinking right. you know, we don't have any coronavirus. So like oh, but now yeah, it's uh, you know, this is more contagious now. So well hopefully they'll get it under control. Mm. I have faith. Uh, in the Australian government, yes. In the U.S. government, eh, not so much. <laughs> anyway, all right. Let's let's talk more IT. Mm. It's okay. Just us today. We don't have any guests, so it's just a panel this episode. Cool. I think we're, let's talk about how about roles in IT. Does that work for you guys? Oh yeah. I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watch the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually, I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. There are a lot of them. When you work as a developer, you don't think about it a lot, but when you sit down and start building a list of all the things that people can do in IT. It's it's a long list. It is. I might have done them all. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a few. Since I've been in it for so long, it just seems that way, but probably not. So where should we start? Talk about uh, well, I, different types I think of developers? We were talking. Well, I think we were talking, right, for people coming out of college, whether you have a degree in computer science or a degree in graphic design or web design, right? You know, what are your options? And I know from for me, I had a degree in graph design, right? And I've always taken with computers for forever. But when I got out of college, I ended up going to work for a company as a graphic designer and was like, this ain't working. Print is not where it's at for me. <laughs> so I transitioned to a computer tech and IT help desk, right? Because I'm good with computers and did that for a couple of years. And then I got another job doing that and also doing some web development mostly front end, and then got another job from there. 
So there are plenty of avenues into the IT industry. It just depends on what you're comfortable with, right? What about y'all? Yeah. Well, I started uh, really my professional career was in electronic sales, TVs, appliances, mm-hmm. stereos, computers, cell phones, things like that. And, but I quickly became known as the, the go-to guy for questions on the computers in, mm-hmm. that, in that department because a lot of the salespeople would go over there and try to sell something and they'd sell it. But then the customer would come back with questions and they couldn't answer it because they didn't know the answer. Mm-hmm. So they called me over and said, well, did you include my name on that sale? Because it was commission-based. And <laughs> of course they didn't. I said, well, I'll help you out of this one. But the next one, you got to put my name on it. Otherwise, you're just going to get computers returned. So I kind of took that attitude. So, and- that actually, that reminds me, I had a former coworker who was the same thing, electronic sales, like at Sears. And he got a job doing QA at the consulting firm I was working for. And he is now a Salesforce expert, got multiple certifications and doing Salesforce development for dev company here in New Orleans. So yeah, it's surprising how many people I've met in IT who started off in an adjacent industry. Like and then they kind of like like I think like Sean say he was just a salesperson in a hardware store or something. Is that what it was? Electronic tell, yeah. But, yep, yep. Yeah, electronic store. And then you yeah, and and then they kind of just they got given a, a new role where they did a little bit of coding here and there, and then they did a bit, a bit of research, and then more and more they progressed towards the the IT side. Like I've, I've heard so many stories like that, you know, like and yeah, I, I guess that kind of reaffirms my belief. I guess that you don't really need an IT degree to to be in IT at all, just because there's so many people that have transitioned into it. You know, it's just one of those things that if you're if you're motivated enough to be in IT or you're interested enough, you can do it. And it's and like will be explaining there's so many different types of roles and that pretty much every there's there's so many skill sets that that, that is required i think so in, in, in an it team i found over the course of my career most of my development or growth as a developer was companies or people giving me an opportunity that I wasn't necessarily qualified for right mm. and then i proved myself i either sink or swim like you said i, I know several people who who have been in the same position, you know, took a chance and it's it's worked out for them. So I think typically, so, I said typically a, a lot of people probably start off in the um. I think either is a tester or or um, working at the help desk. Do you guys find that in their first few years to to get get their foot in the door before getting that opportunity? I guess to do more advanced. I think stuff, I think it depends. I think if you have a computer science degree, you can typically come in as a junior dev. Yeah, for people with with less traditional backgrounds, then yeah, help desk in QA are definitely inroads into the industry. Mm. But I'll, I'll tell you this much, a QA person, someone who who was like built for QA or born for it and is really good at it, they're worth their weight in gold. I mean, <laughs> they're, and they're also few and far between. But you know, like for instance, I, I remember we had a QA tester and we had developed this autocomplete input. And of course, you know, we test it and unit test or whatever and do all of our stuff and it was working just fine and the QA tester got it and he he actually spent two days on this autocomplete and he found that if you started with the letter V it did not return anything everything else worked (laughs) (laughs) for some reason letter V didn't (laughs) and it takes a special person to be able to to go that far or catch those kind of things so Mm. yeah and I think the best QA people are the ones that know the system in and out as well which Mm kind of aligns with the whole business analyst tie role as well. So 
yeah, and I see yeah. a lot of I see a lot of business analysts who were testers once as well. So you you've worked as a business analyst before, haven't you? Why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so, so it's a whole different define, beast. You know, what is a business business analyst? You know, what how does that fit you know, into the IT universe? It's actually pretty hard to define because you know I've I've taken a number I've I've been in a number of different business analyst roles in a number of different teams, and they're all kind of a bit different. Like it's, like it goes from like almost the same as being like a project manager sometimes like because if, if there's a project without a project manager generally kind of like the the business analyst or will be the person that's kind of like doing the, you, at least the, the coordination stuff yeah, yeah. are they so kind the, of like the go-between the go-between the it team and yeah well, they, know, they, they can be they can be but, but then some there's other roles you have like where i've been in where you're almost like a like a document writer almost um mm-hmm. Because you spend so much, it depends on what the what, what the project emphasizes. Sometimes the project emphasizes delivery, and then you become more of a project manager, and you become more of the go between and speaking to the business and trying to get your trying to get the requirements all correct. But then other teams they might emphasize just documentation, and then you might spend a lot more of your time documenting as well. So, I mean, I obviously prefer to be in the former, but um, I have found that being a business analyst can be hard because the role may vary so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what's required, you might be different in everything, every team. So it's interesting how much attention to detail or minutia there is in all these roles, just in in varying places or mm-hmm. different perspectives. For instance, a lot of the business analysts I work with, working in an agile environment, you know, with sprints, they do a lot of the document gathering and the requirements and the scopes for the stories, right? And exactly. What needs to be done? What are the requirements? You know, what's the expected outcome? And that's an art in and of itself, right? So, but I have found, right, different people have different aptitudes, which that, that's obvious, right? And that's kind of dumb coming out of my mouth. But, <laughs> but what I mean by that <laughs> is, regardless of whether you have a computer science degree or not, you may find yourself going towards uh, being a business analyst or going towards being QA or going towards being a developer, or even you may find, right, the DevOps is your thing. And so you become a DevOps engineer. And so you can learn businesses, right? And you can learn subject matter and you can learn industries that you're developing for. But I definitely think people have different strengths. If you find something that you enjoy and that you're good at, I say there, there's definitely a, a path in most of these jobs within IT to continue to grow. Mm, yeah, yeah, well, I, I agree. Having said that, I also think that there's a lot of room to to switch as well. Maybe after a couple of years, you might try something a bit different as well because there's also a lot of overlap as well between all of these different roles. I mean, at the end of the day, an IT team is really just about trying to deliver value to, to, the, to the business areas or, or the clients and all these different roles are just different uh, I guess perspectives on it on yeah. how to achieve that. Yeah, so it, it is actually pretty cool. Actually, when you work in a different role in, in an IT team, and then you, and then you, I don't know. Let's say you know, if I was a business analyst, and then I switch back to being a dev. I have a lot more appreciation for the business analyst. I think, or a lot, uh, maybe a lot more empathy, <laughs> which which is always good. I think because you know, at the end of the day, you, you, you're almost IT is, projects are so big these days. You, you're almost never going to be working in a team where it's just you or just a, a bunch of devs you know you're always going to be working with a bunch of people who've got fairly different roles to you very different skill sets have you guys ever ran into the uh promote until failure type of situation oh, yeah. yeah it's everywhere 
Yeah. So no. What what, what does that mean? What what that means is you know you start out as junior developer. Okay, you move up to senior developer. Okay. You're, so yeah. if you're a good senior developer, then they move you up to a lead developer. So you must, if you're a good senior, you must be a good lead, right? And then if you're a good lead, you must be a good architect. And, and then they just kind of, you promote up the ladder until, okay, you're not good at that anymore. Right. Uh, really <laughs> wasn't maybe, your, your strength. And maybe it's a U.S. thing, but but my my dad, he's managed teams for years. I mean, he's, he's re- basically retired now, but he says, yeah, people get I think the term he used, people get promoted to the first level of incompetency. So basically, (laughs) you're doing so good at what you're doing, and you may be on a promotion track, or you may want to be promoted, and you get promoted, like Sean said, into a management position, and you fail miserably. And that's okay, but it's definitely an issue, right, you see with management. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, management is just art and science, and not everybody is good at it. So Yeah. I do find it strange, at least in Australia, that the management path is generally more lucrative. Like um, managers, mm. um, but at least for a permanent position, managers get to pay, get paid more than the, the technical staff. And sometimes you may find that that's the only path for you to, to go up. And I mean, that's what I found maybe, uh, at least within the Australian public service, that basically that there's, if you're a technical person, you, there's a ceiling. You know, you're not going to get any higher than a particular level unless you, you actually leave the public service and become like a contract for the public service and then you get paid heaps more but if you want to become a public if you want to stay a public servant the only way to go up higher is to is to manage people which is in, in, i think like you're saying just in some ways a pretty different um experience to, to the technical side so it's the same thing here i mean it may be different culturally different but you run to the same thing i mean for instance right i did a lead development job for a year and a half or so again mm-hmm. one of my shorter stints. And I felt like I, I did a good job and, and they didn't fire me. I, I moved on. But I realized, right, that I was spending more time in meetings and more time helping other people along, more time fixing other people's code. I don't know if it's the right word than I was writing code myself. Right. You know, and so I'm writing code maybe 25% of the time. And I just realized that's not, not really what I wanted to do. I wanted to keep being in the code base and, and writing features. So. Yeah, well, I mean, I worked out, I started out with developer, DBA, things like that, and moved up to lead and uh, moved up to, into more management, things like that. But even when I got up to management, I also arranged it so I wasn't just management. I could still keep on doing development stuff because, you know, that's really what, you know, made me get up and, you know, want to go to work every day is, is creating things, not just overseeing that kind of work and, and other people doing it, but actually being hands on and, and doing it myself. And I was always really good at that. So I didn't want to give up. It's like uh, on those things that, that really people looked to me for. And I wasn't sure that management was really going to be strength for me. So I wanted to, to kind of get 50-50 in there and see how it went. And sometimes that helps. You, if you have that opportunity to try it out and see if you like it without really living and giving up your old spot and then it feeling and not being able to be, you know, step back down into it. That works out for me. It was I was kind of lucky there. I found um with especially with management, or maybe just project management, maybe just management in general, one of the things that was hardest to adjust to was actually how much time it, it took. Because I found that with development, um, the more you work on a project, the kind of the faster you end up being because you you, you figure out ways, you, you know, you, you understand the code base better. 
they figure out ways to do things faster, uh, maybe better, work better as a team over time. But with management, you're dealing with, with people and you can't necessarily rush those things. And I, and I found that, you know, like as a, I guess as a technical person, when you know you've done a job right, um, that's pretty much repeatable. You know, like you can take those lessons and apply it to, an, to a future project kind of thing. But as in management, you you know, every situation, well, especially dealing with people, every situation is different. You know, like the things you might do in one project might succeed and then you might apply the same thing in, in another project or another scenario and it might be completely different. So a lot more, it's, it's a lot more subjective there. Yeah. You know, that's actually one of the reasons why I took this architect job is I don't have anybody to supervise or anybody that reports <laughs> directly to me. I mean, I'm I'm going to be interfacing with all the developers across the the whole dev team, right? And I'm going to be reviewing people's codes and checking pull requests and stuff. But, right, basically, I'm going to be spending the majority of my time doing actual development slash building out libraries and patterns and practices for the whole team. So I was like, hey, cool. <laughs> Which goes <laughs> to show you, right, that you could be a lead dev somewhere or an architect somewhere. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be supervising a lot of people. It really depends on the company, right? I'll also add that. I think, look, supervising people can be can be hard. Mm-hmm. But another thing that a project manager always also does is not just manage below you, but you also have to manage above you. And right. the above you bit can actually be, <laughs> be more frustrating because you have less power. So you can't just... You, know, you, you can't really, you know, you can't go up to your boss or your senior manager and kind of, you're basically but tapping on the shoulder and going, hey, have you like, you know, signed this? Have you done this kind of thing? And, you know, that can that can be harder sometimes, you know, like because they're generally busier than you and, and their time is more precious, you know, so. You can tell someone you supervise what to do in a nice way, of course, right? <laughs> you, can't, you can't tell someone who supervises you what to do necessarily. <laughs> it's, that, that is a skill in and of itself. Um, and mm. my dad figured out that skill. I don't think I've learned it from him, but he basically said, you know, he could, he figured out how to tell people to kiss his ASS, right? And for them <laughs> to say thank you. And I'm not, <laughs> I'd love to meet you, dad. No. <laughs> <laughs> he is an interesting person. <laughs> yeah, he's a character. Yeah. One, of the, one of the big adjustments that I had when I moved into management is, you know, as a developer, I've got my own levels of standards that I meet for within my mm. own code. And, and I'm the only one worrying about that as the developer is, mm. does this code meet my levels of standards? As a manager, you're not doing all the code. So you've got to have sometimes, you know, flexible standards and and have to, you know, kind of be hands off. Somebody might not be as experienced as you and, and maybe junior. And, and it's tough to not just go, let me fix it. And it's, mm. it's, it's not... You got to do it this way or whatever. And that's that's a big adjustment, you know, from that one level of doing your own thing to being responsible for, for multiple people and their results. So that was tough. Yeah, I think you definitely have yeah. to, like you got to delegate your work, but in some ways you kind of have to delegate what you own as well, you know, and let other people own it. And yeah, sometimes that means letting other people own the code, I guess. That can be difficult if it's a design decision that you, know, you disagree with and all that stuff because, yeah, you're not necessarily in a position to to fix it for them. So. Well, and there's, all right, there's a balance there. You don't want to be too heavy-handed, but if you do have patterns and practices in place or you have a style guide mm-hmm. or design guide and you are doing reviewing pull requests 
you can help, right? Mm. Move them in the right direction or, but that means you have that time. If you don't, um, mm. it's more of a, you're making sure that it doesn't blow up. It doesn't fail <laughs> and you, you move on. So yeah. actually here's a, here's a good question then. Yeah. So, do you think then that if you're a manager, um, mm-hmm. you need to have uh, you need to have technical background? Do you think it's that's important or or a requirement or do you think it's not? I don't think it's a requirement, but I think it's definitely a benefit. You're in a much better position if you have the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it depends on what level manager. If you're a direct manager to the developers, then I would say yes. No, yeah. But if you're a manager energy, of yeah. developer managers, then not so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the higher up you go, I guess the less and less you need. But I think it, it always is good to come from a from a, have have that technical background to begin with. I think. Yeah, because I, I think I think managers at any level should be able to look at the one level below you and be able to, to judge: is that good work? Is that appropriate work? Is that that uh, quality mm-hmm. work? Things like that. Mm-hmm. And so, one level below or two levels below, you should be able to do that. And so, I've had managers myself that they didn't understand it which really meant mm. that i could put anything out there and they go yeah great <laughs> <laughs> it was great as a developer but as far as the business concern you know that wasn't that good yeah i never did some managing projects that if i was managing like a code based project or a software project i'd i'd be a lot more comfortable managing that than if i had to manage a like a like a even a technology that i, I wasn't aware of like more of an infrastructure type project because i just don't have that much more but that, not much, that much hands-on experience in that space. Well, and I think if you don't have the technical background and you're the person hiring developers, you may not know what to look for. And so you may not get the best developers mm. and then your code base may grow more organically, which in the long run is going to need to be more of a detriment, right? So, yeah. yeah when when I was that. a hiring manager, yeah, I, I learned to be very selective. Especially, I mean, I was working in, in a, uh, a government department, university, things like that. So, you know, once you hired somebody, if they made it past three, six months, then you're kind of the only way to get rid of them is you have to have real, you know, good justification and right. provable mm-hmm. to go through HR to say, yay, hey, this person's not working out. We need to let them go. You can't just, you know, walk into their office one day and say, you're not good enough. You have to have, a, you know, a real good reason. So that really led me to, you know, look at the pools and the candidates and really put them through a good test to make sure that they were meeting the level of quality and, and ability that I, that I needed in my team. Mm-hmm. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. So- Right. These days, a lot of people are full stack developers, right? And I'm using air quotes because that can mean all mm-hmm. kinds of things. And, and there's really, especially if you're working for a small company, is there's, there's this expectation that you can do everything, right? You can do the UI, you can do the business logic, you can do the database stuff, you can do your own QA even, right? Because of this, do you guys see certain roles or jobs? being less popular or being phased out more, for instance, a DBA, right? Mm. Uh, I'm, you know, 10 plus years ago, any company that uh, mid-sized enough had at least one DBA, right? And they had their own network admin team that managed everything. And I'm just not seeing that as much. What about y'all? 
Same. Yep. Server administrator, things like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. Right. I think it's because of the switch to cloud. And yep. like, I guess my yep. advice to anyone that's in the infrastructure space, uh, I'm that, to be honest, like I said, a lot of these roles, or those skills are, they're either upgradable or they're, they're interchangeable um, with other, like they're, they're used in other roles. But if you're, if you're in any like, on-premise infrastructure space, I would encourage you to start getting your cloud, cloud certs and all that stuff. Um, my, my wife's actually at DBA and um, I basically tell her day and night to start getting into Azure, you know, like, um, or just any, any cloud stuff. Cause that's, that's the future. I mean, she, having said that, she, she doesn't just do DBA work. I, I think it's very rare now to find a, a DBA who just manages mm. databases. I think she does a lot more than the networky stuff, but she's, she's got a lot more on-premise experience and, I think where she works is starting to move to the cloud. I'm just like, yeah, you hit that. You, you go as hard as you can, get, take as many opportunities as you can um, to the cloud because I think that's definitely the, the, fu- the future of where that space is heading, you know. Well, and here's the thing, right? DBAs are valuable, right? It's a valuable role. And mm-hmm. Lord knows you can screw some database stuff up real easy, yeah. <laughs> especially if you treat it like, like Excel. But like you said, with, with the migration to the cloud and cloud becoming more and more prevalent, a lot of that stuff is obfuscated away or managed mm. in cloud spaces. So yeah. you can't, I mean, you're still, you still have plenty of room to make mistakes, but you know, you're not going to be writing triggers and a hundred store procedures anymore, typically, <laughs> not if you're starting new development. Mm. So right. I think the, the cloud actually, it gives me, gives me hope because I feel like Mm. A lot of that stuff, like it used to be like if I wanted to do anything like that, if I wanted to learn about networks and all that stuff, I'd actually have to buy like a whole bunch of servers or something like that and oh, right. start my own network. Now I can just, you know, go into Azure and just create a VNet or something, you know, and, and spin up a couple of VMs and then demonstrate the, you know, the, the concepts that way um, and slowly, you know, learn. Um, and I feel like that's a lot more accessible for me as a, as a coder. Mm. Right. Oh, by the way, congrats, why? Because I think recently you got a couple of more Azure certs on yeah. your belt, right? Yeah. So uh, now I'm a issue. Oh, yeah. I've got I could be Azure fundamentals, a developer, and a solution architect, and a nice. comment, I think there were Dynamics one the other day. So this is all because at my work they give out the cert. Well, they, they let you take those exams for free. Yeah. And I'm a so for me, I've just been just I've just been taking the exams and like I haven't. It used to be that I'd study for like ages and then and then try to pass the exam on the first go. Uh, and now I'm just a lot more relaxed about it, and I'll just I'll just study for a couple of weeks, maybe a month, and then I'll I'll, I'll go for the exam. So, cool. yeah, but yeah, it's it's, it's been good. Uh, I think those I would also encourage listeners to to take this, the certifications. I'm not sure how good they are from a career point of view, but I think uh, especially the, the cloud ones, they definitely allow you to that they definitely require you to actually tinker with and try to try to learn things that that you wouldn't normally, I guess. So it's a good path of of learning, I think. So. Either of you ever run your own servers out of your house? You know, web server, yes. email server, things like that? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I haven't I haven't done those kind of servers in a while, but I do still have a... My wife says, don't call it a media server because no one understands what media server is, but you guys understand. But <laughs> she, uh, I have a media library here, right? And I have a peer-to-peer server. <laughs> but, but yeah, I've, yeah, email, FTP, done that kind of stuff before, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the other thing I have, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've, I've set up a Raspberry Pi with web server on it once, but that's, that's about the extent of it. Yeah. <laughs> so I think one of the one of the most common questions I see out there on bulletin mm. boards or not bulletin boards, you know, just web pages, 
forums and things like that, is junior developers saying, when am I a senior developer? <laughs> is it, yes. is it number of years? Is it what, you know, is it, you know, do, do I just apply for a senior developer and get it? Then I'm a senior developer. What, what qualifies to you as the difference between a junior and a senior developer? That, well, okay. So there's the title, which you can get <laughs> yeah. a title without being a senior. I'll be honest, right? I got my first senior developer job without <laughs> having a senior background, which forced me to, to learn and, and grow into that, right? For me, a junior is someone who only has a few years of experience. Then again, you could be a junior with 10 years of experience. Part of it, I think, is your, your willingness or wanting to learn and grow, to, to learn good patterns and practices to learn from the senior developers around you. And I think why I even mentioned this earlier, right? The more you do, the more you develop certain features or you write code in a certain way, you you have this, this backlog or this file drawer of patterns or practices you can go back to because you know they work. And if you're working with seniors, you you would hope that they're quality patterns, right? So so for me, it's not so much a time amount that takes you from a junior to senior. It is knowing how and when to use certain code and patterns and practices. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So do you do you guys have like titles that actually change? Um, like, uh, do you get a promotion and, and then do you, you can officially call yourself a senior developer, or do you kind of just eventually just change your resume from a junior to to a senior after a couple of years? Or how would you? For me, it's always been job change, right? Not, okay. And because, of course, I, I haven't stayed at a company for more than four years. But no, it's for me, it's always been changing companies, which came with a, a different role uh, or mm. position. Also, it's, I mean, sometimes it's promotion. But other times, depending on uh, where you're working, it's called a reclass. So mm. you get, you, you know, your position gets reclassified into a different title or or pay grade or things like that. So that happens to me. But mm. uh, to me, I think that the separator, you know, not the separator, but one of the big separators is, do you ask more questions or do you answer more questions for other mm. developers? So if you're a senior developer, there's probably more people coming to you to saying, how do you do this? You know, I'm stuck. I can't get whatever. Whereas if you're a junior, you tend to be the one asking all those questions. Mm. So yeah. the more it's, that you're answering versus versus asking, the more I would say you're a senior developer to me. What if you um if you move to a like a and I Caleb's done this a few times, but if you move, you're a senior developer, and then you move to a job where you're although you're still a senior developer, you it's, it's a completely different technology. Would you still call yourself a senior developer in that new role? Let's say you started you know using Ruby on Rails or something, you know, like um. Would you still be a senior Ruby on Rails developer or would you go back to a junior? So from my perspective, you would still have a senior mentality, maybe, mm-hmm. because you've you've had that experience and you've learned. You may be a junior in Ruby on Rails, but that's but that's something that you can get past in a year or maybe even less, depending on who you are. Right. So there's a lot of concepts guys, that you've learned as a junior yeah. developer or senior developer that you're going to be to able to apply the, to that new technology. So it's just a matter of coming up to speed with syntax, syntax or definitions or some of the different structures of that 
technology. So there's always, there's going to be a learning curve, you know? Mm. Yeah. And you know, Sean, you mentioned asking questions. I'm of the mind that there is no such thing as a stupid question. Mm -hmm. Now, don't get me wrong. You can ask a question. It can sound stupid, but if you don't know the answer, it's not stupid to ask. And, And and I agree with you that you're going to get more questions from juniors that you're going to have to answer unless like why I said, you're starting a new job. And I'll be honest, I've been asking questions with my new job that may sound stupid, but, you know, because I don't know the infrastructure, because I don't know their setup, because I don't know the way things flow, right? I don't mind making myself look stupid if I actually learn something and become better in the environment I'm working in. Yeah. And I, I'm not saying that senior developers never ask questions, you know. Oh, right. Yeah, you, you got to ask questions because, right. you know, that's that helps you learn. But it's just the quantity of, of questions mm. are you answering or or asking yeah those types of things so we'll kind of separate the two i think yeah what about you why stupid questions um, no stupid questions <laughs> no i always i always ask stupid questions <laughs> no like no I, I think i think even as isn't it i think i agree with sean even as a senior developer you, you do ask lots and lots of questions and i think it's it's good like to to i guess to do so because so I don't, I don't I don't really have an answer that um that's a, that's actually meaningful. Can we just change the the topic on that? <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, not good. So nice. uh, is it more common nowadays that maybe a UI or a UX designer needs to also have some programming skills? It used to be yes. just a graphic designer that could just you know splice up a mock-up or things like that and right. design it, and maybe a little HTML, but. Well, Again, there's a lot of things you have to know as a UI or UX designer that you might not have to know in, as a different programmer. But I think it's highly unlikely these days that you're going to get hired as a web designer or UI designer to just do the graphics, right? You have to at least have a working knowledge of HTML and CSS and JavaScript, in my opinion, right, to be able to, to fill a, a quality position as a UI or UX designer. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like with, with the, the UX person, mm-hmm. it's generally a pretty, it's a role, it's, a, it's more of a, it's very close, much closer to a business analyst role as well, mm-hmm. though. Um, and a lot of, and, but I'm kind of like a, a lot to do with kind of, I guess, it, it's kind of more sciencey than, than I, than I would, have, would have thought as well. Um, just kind of mm-hmm. a lot of, lot of testing things to, to make sure that um, it actually works. It's not just like that they come up with a design that they think is, is snazzy and then they just, you know, and then they present it. Um, it's, it's more evidence-based as well. No. A-B testing. The button on the right gets 65% more clicks than the yeah. button on the left. Right, yeah. 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 But yeah, I think that, that technical knowledge is is pretty important as well. Um, especially, I remember like working with a person and they, like a UX person, and they gave me like a, a spec once and I was like, this stuff doesn't work with this touchscreen. Like, you know, like this hover button, there's no, no, like, so you kind of need to know some of that stuff as well. So, do you know that early on in my right, development career, again, I'm using air quotes, I was uh, primarily a web designer who did a little HTML, CSS, JavaScript, but did a lot of mock ups, right? But, but I, I was at the point where I actually built. This will this will definitely date me, but I built mockups in Fireworks, which was created by Macromedia, and it was sort of a competitor to Adobe's Photoshop. Adobe bought them, and Fireworks died. But anyway, Fireworks you could actually develop a a wireframe and then an actual graphical mockup that you could click through, 
right? It had it had the functionality you could do the the click states and actually have a functional flow. So eh, mm-hmm. tangent, but hey, it was it was fun. <laughs> I think a good UX designer also is. They, I guess they they understand the different screen formats as well. Um, I think it's mm. it's probably harder now to to be a, uh, yeah. a UX designer because there's so many different ways to actually interact with your application. You know, whether it's on a screen or on a tablet, a touchscreen, a, a desktop, and you have access to so much more analytics these days, right? Yeah, and heat maps, and like you said, like we said, A/B testing, and mm. there's a lot to it. Mm. We're well, moving on to the the, the non techie side then the I guess even the non-IT side. So I guess an, another another role that I think is really really important in an ID team is is kind of like the person outside the IT team. The the finding a really good product owner I reckon is like mm. super important to success of a project. One that can essentially that has a delegation to to be able to make decisions on fairly quickly as well, and and know know the product pretty well. You know, being that subject matter expert, I think is really important. It's not necessarily an IT role, uh, and they don't necessarily need to. Have have much of an IT background sometimes, but I think it goes back to you know IT really being a, an enabler for for business to to work better. You know, if you know your business, then you can you can produce better results with in it, in IT. And I think the the best product owners are the ones like you said that are subject matter experts and know the business inside and out, mm. but that won't tell you how to develop a input or a drop down or radio buttons. Because it's not their job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Having that relationship with the, having a good relationship with the product owner is very important, and knowing your your roles is mm. really important as well. Yeah. All right, guys. I think we covered just about all the roles that I can think of, and things like that. How about we move on to picks? You ready? And we oh. forgot about the whole AI and uh, oh, big data yeah. and learning stuff, but 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 that's that's beyond us. <laughs> 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 a little bit. Anyway, yes, I'm good with this. Yeah. Hey, folks, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top 5% of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up, figure out how to contribute more, get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, and I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there? And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit, and you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. All right. I'll go first this week, I guess. I actually have two picks. I had one, but then as we were talking, I, I thought of another one, so I'll throw mm-hmm. them both out there. One is uh, definitely a non-technical pick. It is my pick this week is air conditioning. <laughs> we, we were under a heat dome for the past two weeks, and it's still not over yet. You know, our temperatures have ranged... The highs from about 90 degrees to 106 in Celsius. That's uh, 32 to 41 degrees Celsius. Mm. And yeah. even, you know, up in Canada, it got to 121 degrees. You know, mm. that's, that's just nuts. You know, that's like Death Valley temperature. And that was Canada. Yeah. So I, I feel for y'all. That's crazy. I, I do because, well, because 
I'm, I'm familiar with these kind of temperatures. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, at least at least we you know we don't have the humidity. But I mean, on yeah. on the west coast, you know, over by Seattle, I think the they they have high, more high humidity than we do where I'm at. So, but not I'm not talking about New Orleans, you know, humidity. Well, but, I, can, uh, I can step outside my front door right now, and my my glasses immediately fog up. <laughs> <laughs> and not because yeah, think, you're wearing a mask. <laughs> right. No, I'm not not even wearing a mask. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, I think humid heat's heat worse than the dry heat. Like, I remember being in, like, Southeast Asia, and I'd have to take, like, four or five showers a day. No, you not that many. But, like, just as soon as you walk outside, you're just, just sweaty, you know? Like, um, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 So, yep. Um, my second pick is a book that I read in quite some time ago. It's not it's not a recent book, but it's still the concepts that are in, that are in it are, are still really helpful. And it's a book called Dope. Don't make me think. Yeah, oh, yeah. Steve Krug. And uh, I read that a long time ago and I still try to adhere to it whenever I'm like trying to design a, unif- a user interface. And basically it's like, it should be as intuitive as possible for the user. You know, you don't, you want them to just be able to move the mouse and click where they need to. They don't want, they don't have to try to figure things out. So mm-hmm. book there. And he's also got another book called uh, Rocket Surgery Made Easy. So, you know, check out these two books on because it's the technology that he talks about is kind of old, but the concepts are still really, really, really useful. Mm. Cool. Yeah, it'd be good to have a good UX kind of book. Yep. All right. Why? What's your pick? All right. So mine's a little bit different and maybe it won't be applicable for, actually, I know it definitely won't be applicable for for everyone. But yeah, so I actually, so, so near my house, I've actually got a, uh, like a drone delivery service. Now, so literally, like you can order a cup of coffee, and it just it essentially just puts it on a drone and just delivers to you in like ten minutes. So, which is which is awesome, um, and and it's great that it's kind of like the future for me. Like, um, so yeah, I thought I'd put that as my pick. It's, it's run by a company called Wing, which um, I did a bit of research on them. They're actually owned by Google, so it's a. Uh, and right now, I think they only do a, a couple of locations in Australia and. I don't know, they'll probably do more in the US or something like that. But it's pretty awesome, basically, just yeah, I'm ordering a cup of coffee and then seeing a seeing like a drone arrive at your house 10 minutes later and then drop it off, you know. So yeah. Does it just drop it on the ground or yeah, it kind of drops on the ground. No, I haven't actually ordered the coffee. I ordered a box of Tim Tams, uh, which is like a like an Australian brand of biscuit, I guess, yes. But yeah, I might try the coffee today because um, I want to see if it's spilled anything. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I'm not sure how you know, scalable I've been seeing, it is. Um, yeah. It's pretty loud. I've been so. seeing commercials from Domino's, which is a pizza company yeah. in the U.S. Yeah, we have and that they've here, been doing but... these commercials where they, they, they now have an, a self-driving vehicle oh, that yeah. keeps the pizzas hot. And I don't know how many places it's in, but I'm seeing it here in New Orleans where you order a couple of pizzas and they put it in and it in the, drives itself to your house. Do you like knock on the window and then just, if it's just on the passenger seat? Like, like I don't know, but definitely interesting. Uh, drone delivery in the U S all I can see is people with their shotguns. Mm. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Hey, I want that. Boom. That's why I don't think it's really that scalable because it is really loud as well. Like uh, I'm guessing uh, the technology will improve uh, at some stage and it's really big. So we're talking one drone here for me to deliver to my house. But if that scales to like thousands of drones delivering, 
you know, cups of coffee to everyone in the morning. Like, I can't imagine how <laughs> that would scale, you know? So, oh, you hear interesting. Is... Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. We'll Caleb, see, right? Caleb, what's your yeah. pick? So, my pick is technical in nature. It is Stack Overflow's 2020 survey. And I think it got released within the past couple of months. But right, they, they break down a lot of different things. It's it's a long survey, a lot of interesting details in there. But the thing I like the most out of this is they have a section for most loved, dreaded, and wanted frameworks. Guess which one is most loved? ASP.NET Core, the React, 70% really? to 68%. Yeah. That's, that's actually really surprising, to be honest. Um, yeah. I just didn't think right? you know, .NET would be... But- is relevant anymore, but um, yeah, okay. Well, it's the core, right? And yeah, I, I yeah. think the fact that it's well, core now, and it's cross-platform, it's more performant. Um, not a five and yeah. six now, no longer yeah. core. Yeah. yeah. Oh right, that's, yeah, it's core. That's true. Wide, but, but. Well, it's good to see that people are using .NET again. Right. So, yeah. right. <laughs> so, and the most dreaded Angular JS. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course, I can see that. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, cool. That would be interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll have to take a look at that. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys. Good discussion. Yeah, yeah. it's been fun. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I like just it. getting to to sit and just pontificate with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and a few uh, thousand or so or more, you know, listeners plus. Yeah, yeah. Right. We're glad to have y'all with us. Yep. All right. Well, I can't ask. Normally, I'd ask our guests how they can get in touch with it, but they get in touch with us. They can yeah. get reach out to me. I'm on Twitter at dot at dot net superhero, right? Dun, da, da, da. Yes, <laughs> yes, that is correct. Yes, yeah. And, you're... And, uh, oh yeah, I'm I'm Caleb Wells Coates, but dot net superhero is really where it's at. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was on a uh, Discord stock group, whatever, the other day, and I used that that nickname, and people yeah. knew you must be a programmer. It's like, why? Well, yes, I am. <laughs> well, there you go. So yeah, good to you. Mm. All right, guys, that's it for now. I guess we'll catch yep. everybody else on the next episode of Adventures in .NET. Bye, yeah. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.